Hello and welcome to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. Today's episode features Garantz Franka Ruta, the editor-in-chief of Yahoo Politics and a former fellow here at the Shorenstein Center. In the next hour, you'll hear Garantz discuss women, the media, and campaign 2016, including her thoughts on Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, the sexism of Donald Trump, and how the media still struggles to present women's voices. Moderating the event is Tom Patterson, Acting Director of the Shorenstein Center. Welcome back, Grant. Thank you. Uh, Grant Franke Ruta was here as a Shorenstein Center Fellow uh, 2006, uh, currently is Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo Politics. Uh, before that, The Atlantic, The Washington Post, The American Prospect, uh, and before that, uh, four years as a Harvard undergrad. Yes. Grant. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, it's great to be back here. It's always nice to be back in Cambridge in the fall, um, where there's a real fall since I live in Washington now, and we don't have proper seasons. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to read from uh, my uh, computer here and uh, give you a little bit of a sense of uh, the lay of the land right now on uh, the topics uh, outlined. So. On the night of the first Democratic debate last week in Las Vegas, the New York Times assigned a uh, quick aggregation piece to one of its reporters on what bloggers, commentators, and the Twitter rat were saying about the evening. The reporter selected commentary from an array of pundits and analysts, all 11 of whom just happened to be white men. Readers were upset, naturally, leading Times ombudsman Margaret Sullivan to ask politics editor Carolyn Ryan what was up. What was up, as it turned out, was a mistake. It's not acceptable, and I will make sure personally that it doesn't happen again, Ryan assured readers. She went on to list the reporter's email address online, which I think is among the harshest things an editor can do to a reporter in this online media environment, uh, so that new female and minority sources could get in touch with him. Meanwhile, yesterday, Politico noted that the press around Democratic presidential primary frontrunner Hillary Clinton is largely female. At least 18 national media outlets have female reporters in the Clinton beat across print, online, radio, and TV, Hadaskold reported. Some, such as NBC, have as many as three. Local outlets in Iowa and New Hampshire have female reporters on Clinton as well. No one can remember a political press corps that's this heavily female. It's not the first time there has been a team of leading campaign reporters who are female. There were three women who famously covered the Gore versus Bush race in 2000. Or even that we are hearing about the girls on the bus to flip around the title of Timothy Krause's famous 1973 campaign book, The Boys on the Bus. There was even a TV comedy briefly in 2006 about female reporters on the presidential trail called The Girls on the Bus. You can find this on IMDb. So as we look at these two things, uh, on the one hand, the overlooking of women, on the other hand, the profusion of women on the campaign trail, uh, it's worth asking what the picture for women in politics and media looks like in 2015 and in 2016. And the answer, I think, is pretty apparent, which is that the picture is mixed. Um, On the one hand, we have more women than ever before covering the presidential candidates and more women than ever before running competitive races within the major party primary systems. On the other hand, the media still struggles collectively with how to present female voices to the public, especially female voices with opinions uh, in a way that acknowledges their authority and expertise. It would have been snap your fingers easy to find women at the same institutions mentioned by the Times writing or tweeting about the debate. Still, some of the problem with female representation in media 
is clearly related to deeper structures. One study found that part of the problem on the Sunday morning public affairs shows, at least, um, and they're legendary for being largely male in their lineups um, historically and continuously, is that they so they so often showcase opposition congressmen um, or congressional leaders. In the Obama era, that's meant Republican men because most of the women in Congress are actually Democrats. Indeed, it's this disparity between the distribution of women across the political parties in Congress that is behind the, I think, the slowness in the move for gender parity in elected office so far. This is a bit of a tough fact for feminists and women's groups, most of whom, let's face it, are pro-choice Democrats, because it pits the dream of gender parity in office against their desire to elect women who share their feminist beliefs and calls into question what the whole point of electing women to office is. Is it about representing a specific agenda for women that men have not been putting forward? Or is it about women having equal access to power and self-government regardless of their beliefs? Um, and, even if, and even if their beliefs are in many ways antithetical to the progressive feminist agenda that created the opening for them to run, to run for office. This is the core question, right? If women are capable of self-government, and I doubt anyone here thinks they are not, why are they ne nearly everywhere in the world ruled by men? Obviously, we know the answers to that, women's historic exclusion from public life and historic second-class status, which we have been working on for 100 years. Um, but is it not enough that women's representation in office be about equal access to the lovers of power and the right to govern? Does it have to come with an agenda, too? This is a series of questions that there's a huge amount of debate on, um, and, and one of the reasons I think the dream of parity is, is, is so far uh, in the future. In any event, slowly, women on both sides of the aisle are making strides in contending for the top position in the US government. It still remains a fact that Democrats are ahead of Republicans on this front, from the first female House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Clinton, who is the strongest female presidential contender in US history. 1996 was actually the last year there was no woman running for the presidential nomination in either party. Uh, many of the women who have run since then have slipped from memory, um, including mine until I sat down to write these remarks, <laughs> um, <laughs> along with the male also runs of those election cycles. So it's not, it's an equal, uh, equal treatment there. Um, but I want to men mention them because I think it's worth just noting that uh, there have been a number of women running over the last cycles. Elizabeth Dole ran in the GOP primary in 2000, but pulled out before voting took place due to her pool poor fundraising, even though she was second uh, after George W. Bush in the polls. Carol Mosley Braun, who had been the first female African-American U.S. Senator, ran in 2004 and participated in all the Democratic presidential primary debates, dropping out uh, just before the Iowa caucuses. Uh, in 2008, Clinton fought to the bitter end of the primary cycle and then ceded the field to Obama after proclaiming that she and her supporters had put 18 million cracks in the glass ceiling. Sarah Palin was the first Republican vice presidential nominee that fall, a quarter of a century after Democrats had nominated Geraldine Ferraro. In the 2012 cycle, uh, House member uh, Michelle Bachman ran for the GOP nomination and won the Iowa straw poll held in Ames that, uh, in August of uh, 2011, uh, the first time that had ever been won by a woman. Um, but then she came in sixth in the Iowa caucuses and dropped out. And I think her campaign was especially interesting because the primary electorate in Iowa is so deeply conservative that when you visited her offices, she had people who were working on, you know, biblical justifications for women in office. Um, and you would talk to people uh, at the straw poll who supported her but said that they really felt that it was 
not appropriate to have a woman president. Um, women would say this. Um, even though they supported her, they wouldn't vote for her because of this. So she was dealing with a lot of um, uh, very traditional views about women in power within her own party. Um, as well, at the time, Iowa had yet to send a single woman to Congress, either in the House or Senate, and lagged behind other states in electing women to high-level statewide posts. Um, then Republican Joni Ernst broke that glass ceiling in uh, 2014 by becoming um, the first female U.S. Senator from Iowa. Today we have Clinton running on the Democratic side, where she's leading in the national polling. Um, she's the fundraising frontrunner, and she is the winner of the largest number of endorsements. Alone among candidates, she says she has 60% female donors, um, at least at the small donor level, which is a very significant thing because most donations historically have come from men. Um, and uh, to the extent that the primary system has focused on larger donors, um, those have tended to be men just because of men uh, accruing at the top income levels uh, where writing a $2,400 check is, is not as much of an issue. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and then um, on the Republican side, we have uh, former Hewlett Packard CEO Carly Fiorina, who has shot up to third place in some national polling thanks to her strong performance in the primary debates. Both candidates will face major challenges on their path to the nomination. For Clinton, the challenges begin again in Iowa, a state where she finished third in 2008 after Obama and John Edwards, a man whose name is also lost to history. Um, her team has been quite open about thinking she may again not win the state. Uh, part of that's expectation setting, part of that is real fears, um, despite building a formidable operation there nationwide. And then, of course, she will go on to New Hampshire, which she uh, did win last cycle. But Bernie Sanders, uh, the current polling leader in the state, is also from neighboring Vermont, and neighboring state candidates tend to overperform their poll numbers in New Hampshire. So the odds of Bernie Sanders winning New Hampshire are very, very strong. Um, of course, when you talk to the Obama people about these numbers, they like to remind you that they were up in New Hampshire right before I voted too. So who knows what will happen because New Hampshire is like that and polling can be a little iffy in the state. Still, it's entirely possible that Clinton might, like her husband in 1992, not win either of the first two states to vote. Um, in fact, the first state he won outright was Georgia, which was the fifth on the fifth election day of the 1992 cycle. One thing she has going for her is that her campaign this cycle is light years better than it was in 2008, and she herself is a much more polished candidate. Um, after a rough start this spring, uh, especially on answering questions about her email, um, she successfully avoided during the first Democratic debate what I call her fallback reluctant witness at a hostile congressional hearing resting face. <laughs> um, though, of course, with the Benghazi hearing this coming Thursday, she will again be cast in that least favorite of her many roles. Um, she's also not facing a once-in-a-generation political talent like Barack Obama uh, this cycle. Sanders has an excellent online fundraising team. They should be. They helped elect Barack Obama. They are his people, and they're working for Sanders now, which I think is super interesting. Um, but <coughs> one hears his ground game is perhaps not as organized as it might need to be. Um, this is ultimately what undid the last strong insurgent Democrat from Vermont, Howard Dean, uh, a disorganized ground operation on the ground in Iowa. Uh, Fiorina, for her part, seems unlikely to make it past Iowa, though there is some small chance she could do well in the state's caucuses. She's the sort of person who might have been boosted by the Iowa straw poll in Ames in uh, past years, but it remains to be seen how much of a ground operation she can put together. She has not been a standout fundraiser thus far and seems reluctant to uh, fully self-finance either. 
Finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Donald Trump and the question of unapologetic sexism as a form of appeal. Uh, Trump's obviously sexist remarks about Rosie O'Donnell's looks or his implication that not even Megyn Kelly was menstruating during her time moderating the first GOP debate have not hurt his appeal with the GOP primary electorate one bit. My theory of Donald Trump's appeal and Sanders too to some extent is that in the social media era, we all now have publics. It used to be we could say politically incorrect things among our friends. We could say what we thought and it didn't really matter because we were just talking to people we knew and trusted. Now we have Facebook and our current culture and now everyone has a public of some kind that is calling them out on what they're saying. Now everyone has to think about what they say, has to think twice about what they say, and more, which means that everybody is now subjected to a kind of political standard in speech in their private life that used to only be imposed on actual public figures. Trump says things that many appear to find amusing or true, says them without concern for the consequences and uh, without any regard for the reaction. And I think that is obviously one of the major sources of his appeal. Um, that he has gotten the response he has so far, um, I think also tells us something about our present moment and how many people still look at women in public life. And with that, I open the floor. Oh, good, Grunts, thank you. <laughs> so um, another former fellow, Regina Lawrence, did a study of the 2008 coverage of Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was pretty clear that the press had a gender bias in that coverage. Um, a lot of references to her appearance, her dress, her hair. Um, I somehow get a sense that that's less uh, prevalent in this campaign, at least so far. Maybe Donald Trump's hair has kind of taken center <laughs> stage or something, but uh, yes. do you have a sense of that? I mean, in, in terms of the kind of uh, the bias within the press corps in the way that they treat women candidates and uh, you essentially see them through a different lens than they do males? Well, I think there's still some commentary about uh, how Clinton looks. Uh, I mean, obviously one of the challenges for a female political candidate is to present in a way that exudes the sort of proper authority. I mean, what does a female president look like in the United States? I mean, who knows? We haven't had one. Um, but. Um, you know, they have consultants, they have image consultants, and I think Clinton has done an extremely good job uh, the cycle of figuring out um, an aesthetic that works for her and that maybe neutralizes some of the um, visual snags that got people's attention. And I know um, there's there are people who actually act as consultants to female top-level female political candidates to sort of help them figure out a way to look in public so that people can focus on what they're saying and, 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 and not um, you know, their hair or what they're wearing or did they have Botox or something like that. Um, I think there's also been a real move towards equality in being um, rough on everybody about their appearance, um, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but definitely Donald Trump has come in for a lot of that. Uh, we even saw John Edwards come in for that uh, some in, when he was running. Um, and, uh, you know, different political candidates use their appearances as part of creating an image for themselves. I mean, Justin Trudeau, I mean, if you do an image, Google image search for Justin Trudeau, the new incoming prime minister of Canada, I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, there's there's like striptease videos of him online at a charity thing. I mean, he's obviously using his visual appearance for part of his political yeah. salesmanship. Yeah. 
So uh, students first in, uh, in terms of uh, preferences on the, on the questions for grants. Please. Um, oh, and if you could identify yourself, please. My name is Ozar Khan. I'm a second-year master's degree student here. Um, I feel like in the Democratic debate that we just saw, Hillary Clinton was definitely playing up um, this idea of being the first woman president more so than she did in 2008. Like when she was asked, like, what policy change would we bring to the White House, she said, I would be the first woman. She said it a few times, um, which was commented on as being a very different tone from the one she took in 2008. And do you think that that's a deliberate move, and why do you think that that's something she's choosing to do now versus... Yeah, it's absolutely deliberate, and her people will tell you as much. I, I think what happened in 2007 and 2008 is she felt, um, especially because that was a much more foreign policy-oriented election, she felt a need to establish her gravitas and credibility as commander-in-chief. Um, we've never, you know, had a female defense secretary. Uh, we've had female secretaries of state. She became the third. And, uh, and now that she has been secretary of state and she's been out there on the public stage um, in a diplomatic role, I think there's less of, she feels less of a need to establish herself on those grounds. This is also an election that so far seems to be much more focused on domestic issues. No one really wants to talk about foreign policy because what do you do about ISIS? It's a very, very, very difficult question, and a lot of people have ideas about what to do, but nobody seems to have a really great idea that can gain any kind of internal consensus in, in Congress. Uh, and so uh, she's also trying to create a narrative about herself as a person with a consistent lifetime identity focusing on women and children, that this is who she is at core as a way of getting around these broader questions about who is Hillary Clinton really and is she too changeable. She's also running against Bernie Sanders, who is pretty liberal. Um, and so uh, it's important for her to um, establish that she is not a Washington insider. She's not the establishment. She's someone who has always cared about questions and issues that affect people who are not necessarily uh, the most powerful. Please. <coughs> Your name? Oh, my name is Tracy. I am also a second year master in public policy student here. Um, so in the 2007-2008 election cycle, I know there was talk of how Hillary wasn't maternal, maternal enough, how she was robotic and didn't have feelings, and how her crying in New Hampshire was what helped her <coughs> win the state. Um, do you feel like there's any sort of focus on that or that kind of nitpicking about her character this time around? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no question that there is, and, and there will continue to be. I mean, she's a candidate who's a little bit more like John Kerry and Al Gore than she is like Barack Obama, and um, they got a lot of that nitpicking, too, to be honest. Um, and I think this has a lot of people worried about how she'll do um, in a general election. Uh, a lot of Democrats worried, um, certainly not the Republicans. They seem to be excited about that. Um, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, the, the real interesting question for her is, you know, obviously, who is her opponent going to be? And, um, you know, can she mobilize people based on things other than just opposition to whoever her opponent is? Uh, which seems to be what is probably going to be the main strategy going into the general, although obviously not the stated strategy, but realistically. Um, there's lower enthusiasm for her than uh, for someone like Obama uh, when he was running for the first time. 
And so there's something about her contest that feels a lot more like Obama's re-election campaign than it feels like Obama's first campaign. Um, and his 2012 campaign felt like a grinded out slog where you do it on the numbers and people complained constantly about how he was not available enough or inspiring and all these different things and he won. So, so it's open to anybody at this point. Yeah, Paul. Um, I talked to people who covered her first time around and their criticism was she was entirely a construct. It was focus group driven, it was poll driven. Is the new Hillary the real Hillary, or is, or is her operation just as much constructed? Better consultants. Uh, yeah. She definitely has better consultants this time. There's no question that her team this time is, is, is much better than her team last time. Uh, and that her whole campaign operation is superior to her campaign operation last time. Uh, who's the real Hillary? I don't know. I mean, does she even know? I mean, uh, I guess it, it sort of um, it goes to like what what your theory of um, identity is, right? And 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 whether or not um, there's a real you know your what is it the the old apple versus onion idea? Whether you're you have an interior core that is covered by an exterior skin or whether you're just a series of layers all the way down, right? Um, you know, Sanders is who he is clearly, right? I mean, and, and I think that sort of highlights the fact that she is a more polished candidate. On the other hand, she has so much less room to maneuver uh, on many questions about appearance and presentation uh, that it obviously makes her more cautious. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about her as a political figure. If you look back at her um, at her appearances on Arkansas television, for example, when she was First Lady of Arkansas, or if you look back at her, her early years in the White House, you can see how she was so far out ahead of where the country was on women in power um, and basically spent you know, her entire youth basically just getting incredible amounts of pushback that obviously it would make her a very sort of gun-shy and cautious candidate um, or cautious individual. And I think the hardest thing for her is relaxing into the changes in American culture where it has caught up with her, with women like her. And you know, but she, she she has to be cautious also because every time she's not, you know, something there's a million people who pounce on it. So, please, Bob. Um, Robert Smith, sociologist. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, how do you think the gender of the candidates <coughs> affects their stance on the issues? I think the gender of candidates, generally speaking, <coughs> only makes a difference on issues specifically about um, women and uh, to some smaller extent on the question of social support. Uh, for people in need. Um, but there has been research on this and it looks at questions of um, female jurisprudence and the only difference it makes from a political perspective is on questions specifically related to women. Um, otherwise, you know, I mean, Clinton is, is she's a Democrat, right? Um, and Carly Feiner you know, is a Republican and they have views that are based on their political party beliefs. So that's pretty much it, I think. 
Do you think it should be that way? You were saying earlier in your talk that um, that there was a, David Ensor, one of the one of the fellows. Um, you were saying earlier in your talk that there was this question as to whether there should be issues that women should stand up for as women, as politicians. Do you think there are and should be? And do you think that Hillary and other candidates, prominent candidates are doing so in an appropriate way or not? Well, I think Clinton is standing up for, um, I mean, she's a much, much more liberal candidate than her husband ever was. I mean, all the things that she's come out for this year, if Bill Clinton had come out for those things in 1992, there's no way he would have been president. The country wasn't ready for it. Um, so she's representing who the country is now or what the country is about now. Um, but I, I think this is a really thorny question. And there's a fair number of groups in, in DC that are trying to get women elected to office in a nonpartisan way. There's a fair number of Republican women's organizations that are trying to get Republican women elected to office. Um, it's a little bit harder for Republican women because they're maybe in districts that are more conservative and um, more rural, and those are not the districts that have historically been the first to elect women. Um, women uh, tend to do best in urban areas. Uh, and so I think there's, there's this real open question about, for people who are interested in the question of, of parity in government, how you achieve that in a two-party system. Um, because you can't do it if only one party has, you know, a lot of women there. So if you're interested in parity, you're interested ultimately in a lot of Republican women who are opposed to abortion getting power. And a lot of feminists and women's groups are not interested in that. It's a tension, and it's an, it's an interesting tension. It is. So let me suggest some reasons she might be having trouble and see what you think about it. So. <clears throat> The press, um, in terms of the press coverage, um, so the press on the, if you look at the Republican side, the press has been pretty critical of the Republican candidates for not being specific on the issues, right? And so Hillary Clinton is quite specific on the issues. She gives a lot of speeches that are quite substantive, but they're not very interested in those, right? So she gets kind of caught into that trap about, if you speak, too much about the issues, they're not really all that interested in the issues, and so you don't get the kind of glowing coverage. Um, and then I think she's in a category, and I think she expressed it pretty well in the debate, where basically she said she's a progressive, but she likes to get things done, right? So that <clears throat> I think it's, it's much harder if you're kind of in that uh, compromising, work-together middle uh, to kind of stand out in these campaigns and get kind of the press to really kind of rally behind your candidacy. I think both of those things, and it's not necessarily Hillary Clinton, I mean, I think almost anyone who's kind of in those two categories really has trouble working through the press. I don't know if you'd agree with that. So it's less about her than basically about kind of where she fits in terms of the way she kind of approaches politics. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think in general, candidates have to have a big, compelling, overarching message, and the details of the policies have to support that message, but ultimately, um, people don't vote on those details so much. Um, the problem for Clinton is less that she's 
not getting attention for her current positions that she's putting forward this campaign cycle, but that everybody knows her and has known her for you know, the last quarter century and remembers many other positions she has taken. Um, you know, I was having somebody argue to me last night why she dislikes Clinton because of a, a position she took on um, on, on uh, credit cards in some previous uh, Senate action or uh, positions, obviously, that she took on the war in um, Iraq uh, is, still comes up a lot. Um, and so people remember a lot of her positions from along the way. And I think it's hard to reintroduce yourself to the American public. And I think for her, the part of the campaign that is, you know, here is my new exciting agenda is just, it's very hard to convince people that Hillary Clinton can have a new exciting agenda because they know who she, who she is or they think they do. Um, even though I think her campaign, the cycle and how she would govern is, is quite different now than it would have been, you know, in 2000 if she were running for president or 1992 or even, even last cycle. Richard. Hi. Uh, either, yeah, either one. We'll get you both. Richard Parker, a fellow here. Um, she's identified herself as a progressive, likes to get things done. What has she gotten done, either as First Lady, Senator, or uh, Secretary of State, to identify her as a progressive to progressive Democrats? That is a, f a very fair question. Um, and <laughs> yes, um, it is a very fair question, and that is, in fact, one of the big critiques against Clinton is that she is extremely visible, but she hasn't, you know, done a lot. Um, I think, you know, we we did a series of stories earlier this uh, year looking at the Senate records of the um, various candidates who have uh, had that background. Uh, and it shows why running from the Senate has historically been difficult for people because they don't get a lot done individually that they can take credit for. I mean, they can be co-sponsors on various bills, but very, very few of them have any substantive le legislation to their names that oh, they... New York, New York senators are not so much in that mold. I mean, think of Bob Wagner, Jabbins, or figures like that. Some of the big states. Right. That's probably yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, in recent years, there's been a lot more um, stasis uh, in the Senate. Um, and so on the Republican side, at least, the ones who have been in government um, in the last five years, I mean, the idea that they could have gotten anything done is, it's, I mean, most of what they got done was opposing things um, on the Republican side, um, which is um, an achievement also. Um, it, it, you know, Clinton has been a lifelong visible advocate for women's issues, and in the State Department, I know that that was the case on foreign policy um, to the extent that, you know, she was uh, part of Barack Obama's uh, administration on the Arab Spring and um, the changes in the Middle East. I think that is something people are very ambivalent about her um, as they are ambivalent about his. Uh, how, where is all this going? Um, and, and so there, there's some questions there. You can hear yourself, I mean, which is <laughs> we're struggling to come up with errors. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, like, I don't, not, I, you not know, not I don't big, work for her, right? I mean, I just, it just, it's, you're right. It's a question where she, she has not very clearly made that argument to people saying, these are the progressive things that I have done uh, and accomplished during my time in public life and government. I suspect Sanders is going to go after on that. 
Um, Sanders is a little different, though, because he has all these really interesting and cool, surprising moments where you look back and you're like, wait, Sanders was at the March on Washington? Um, Or there was this one moment in... um, 1996 during uh, the uh, debate over, um, uh, I believe, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, um, where he called a member of Congress back onto the House floor after that member said something offensive like about gay people and was like, did I hear you correctly? Can you come back here? I need to confirm that you know the member said this and that I understood this correctly. And then he launched into a defense of you know gay, our, you know, gay men and lesbians in the military. I forget exactly what he said, but it was it was kind of the, one of those things where nobody was doing that in 1996. Um, and uh, he was, uh, you know, people say, what is it? Um, that the different candidates of the debates represented America in these different years, you know, um, uh, that Clinton is the candidate of 2016, Bernie Sanders is the, or the 2015, Sanders is the candidate of uh, 2025, um, uh, Martin O'Malley is the candidate of 1995, uh, Jim Webb is the candidate of 1965 for Democrats, things like that, right? I mean, they, they represent these different trajectories in the Democratic Party. Okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um. Please. Oh, yes, um, my name is Jonathan Adler. I'm a reporter for The Crimson. Um, you talked a lot about um, how women are portrayed in the media, but I sort of wanted to circle back to your initial point about um, how women themselves uh, fare in the media itself. Um, and especially if you could talk from personal experience at all, it would be great. I mean, political journalism is a little bit like sports journalism. It tends to be um, more substantially male uh, than other areas. Uh, If you look at where there are the most women in media, it continues to be in lifestyle coverage. Uh, This is by choice and by, um, I think, micro directions where you find that you get more support if you write about a certain thing than another and you go where the jobs are and you go where you can have success. there are a lot of women right now who are uh, in the political media. I think part of it is that the folks out on the campaign trail are perhaps a little bit younger than they used to be. Uh, the whole press corps right now is a little bit younger, I think, because so many people were um, downsized who are older. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so many of the institutions that had a lot of senior people in them, you know, just went out of business. And now we have all of these new media institutions, online institutions that have a lot of younger people working for them. So it's also a more diverse press corps, I think, in that regard, at least in the political press corps. Um, although not overall, if you look at the numbers, uh, especially in newspapers. So what can I say? Um, I mean, I think the question always, uh, when you look at institutions and you think about uh, gender parity, is you know what happens to women over forty. Um, you know, there's a lot more parity at the at the junior levels. Um, more women come out of college. Um, more women come out of journalism school. Um, of course, there's going to be a lot of women at the junior levels. Um, what happens at every level above that? What happens when people become editors? What happens when people become managers? Uh, what happens when people become executives? Uh, and at those levels, we still are seeing a tremendous drop-off. Please, Brent. Yeah. Hi, so uh, my name is Brandon Ward, and I'm a faculty assistant here at the Shortson Center. So I wanted to circle back to Hillary, and Richard brought up the point that it's kind of tough to pinpoint actual progressive accomplishments of hers. And you had talked previously about uh, 
people maybe holding past votes or her past public appearance, and she has high uh, unfavorability ratings. And so maybe one way to combat both of those things would be, you know, to have a vice president that you know maybe counteract those images. So I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts on what she could do there or where she goes there, assuming, of course, she gets the nomination. Uh. Yeah, I mean, she's, uh, you know, there's some speculation that um, uh, Julian Castro might be a likely vice presidential pick for Clinton. I have trouble seeing it myself. I don't think it necessarily goes with her campaign argument, but, um, you know, it's more of the um, Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan model. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, she'll probably try and find someone. Um, I, would, I would be surprised if she doesn't uh, pick someone who... Um, can be electorally helpful to the extent that any vice presidential nominee can be electorally helpful. Um, a Clinton-Sanders ticket would be something, but I, I have trouble seeing that happening either. But yeah, stranger things have happened. Yeah. All right. Um, yes. Hi, I'm uh, Marie Sons. I'm one of the Sharon Fellow. Um, what role, if any, do you see for Bill Clinton in Hillary's campaign this time around? Uh, well, he's taking a bigger role than some anticipated he would. Uh, he obviously is good at fundraising. Uh, he's, um, I think he's able to, you know, talk about her record also and, and who she is as a person. Uh, um, but so far, you know, he's actually, hasn't been tremendously visible. He's, he, he, he can go into certain states late in the primary cycle and hold big rallies and draw out voters uh, while she's off doing something in a different state so they can tag team in that regard. And um, he did do some of that last, last time she ran as well. Mm -hmm. um, so he's the ultimate surrogate for her. Please. Um, there, there are obviously some issues out there that are women's issues, and, and you've referenced the fact that uh, women tend to be a little more liberal on social issues. But do you think that there's a women's perspective on issues generally as opposed to a male's perspective? Um, and if so, what do, you, what do you think that perspective is, or how would you characterize it? I think when it comes to questions of the body, um, and especially the female body, there is a definite perspective that women have um, based on their different form. Um, and the way uh, they're uh, treated in society because of having the body that they have. Um, you know, that also goes for anything else that is in that physical arena, such as having children and um, childbirth and all of that. But I think it's pretty clear that there is not a universal female perspective in politics. Uh, there is perhaps unique insights on specific questions, but more broadly speaking, I, I'm not clear that there is a specific female perspective. I mean, Merkel, what is her specific female perspective? I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to see that. Like Margaret Thatcher, what was her specific female perspective? I mean, I think it just, it has to do with some of these more tangible physical questions um, where women bring uh, a different perspective. I'm just curious what you think of Biden and the pushback on him from some women who say he would be a spoiler for the first possible women president. Well, first he has to run, right. and then he has to spoil things to actually be yeah. a spoiler. Um, <laughs> 
this morning he sounded a lot more like someone who wanted to be a candidate than he has ever sounded uh, during uh, his uh, uh, discussion with Walter Mondale. And, uh, you know, but he's Biden, and he said things re like Republicans, I don't consider Republicans my enemy, I consider them my friends or whatever, and which is clearly pushed back against Clinton listing Republicans as her enemies when she was asked to list her enemies. But he also said that he had you know, respect for Dick Cheney, and I feel like that's not something that goes over very well in a Democratic primary. Uh, and so, I don't know, she, I mean, she beat him last time, and he basically lived in Iowa, and he didn't do very well there, and he's, um, if he runs, this would be his third presidential campaign. Uh, he, is, he is not the world's best campaigner. People have tremendous respect for him in Washington and, you know, um, and sympathy for everything that he's been through. I think, uh, like Clinton, he will find that it's much easier to be respected when you are appointed to a position of power than when you are contending for one yourself. So if he runs, he's, he's, he's not going to be cute Uncle Joe anymore. People are going to hold him to account for what he says, right? Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> thank you about Clinton and, and some of the, how you think about her candidacy and kind of where she's going to do well and not do well in the, in the primaries. Um, so you get... <clears throat> What would seem somewhat inconsistent. She looks like she's going to do very well, for example, in South Carolina. I mean, she's way up in South Carolina. It's not even a ball that's game. No, no, that, that's where I'm going with this, right? So uh, it strikes me that uh, she's got a couple of interesting constituencies, you know, that are a, a very large part of the of the Democratic primary electorate. Uh, mm -hmm. The African Americans, Hispanics, and women. Although I, I think it's a little bit hard to tell how the women's vote would divide. Um, but you know, the, the, those are kind of really core constituencies for her in a way that, and it's hard to think about some of the others peeling away. They'll pe they can peel away some of that vote, but it's it's really hard to kind of think about how they can peel away just chunks and chunks of that vote. But I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. No, I, I would agree with that. I think it's uh, Sanders has uh, doesn't have experience campaigning in a racially or ethnically diverse community. He doesn't have experience campaigning in major urban areas. Vermont is a very, very white state. It is, um, as he has said, a semi-rural state. Um, many of its big towns are really small. It's why Vermont candidates can do really well in a place like Iowa, because they're great at you know, kind of hands-on retail politics, uh, because that's what you have to do to win in a place like Vermont. But um, he doesn't have the same ties that the Clintons have in African-American communities. Uh, so it's interesting because, you know, she's not a Southerner. Her husband was a Southerner, but she's not really a Southerner. And uh, yet I think the Southern states, because of their diversity, will probably be um, uh, bulwarks of support for her uh, in the primaries. And she's probably counting on that. Please. <coughs> I have a question about the. Do you know if uh, political cartoons criticized Ollie's role, like a part of the media? I'm sorry. Political cartoons criticized the role of the woman in politics. 
For example, if you go to Europe, you can find a lot of uh, political cartoons that are criticizing the role of the woman in politics and in media and so on. And you go to Middle Eastern uh, countries, you can find too. I don't know if here in the USA we can see the same or not. I have not seen cartoons specifically focused on the role of women uh, in the media uh, or in politics. I've seen cartoons focused on specific women uh, as individuals. Uh, and, you know, some of them, I mean, cartoons are cartoons, right? They have to exaggerate everything. So sometimes you look and you're like, things are a little uh, exaggerated in a way that maybe sits sits awkwardly. But um, I think that's probably like that for a lot of male uh, political figures who are lampooned as well, yeah, and this goes to the core of what it is to lampoon someone. About, uh, if you go to Spain, and from Spain, uh, there are women, Susana Diaz, she is the president of the South, but she wants to be president in the country, in the Socialist Party, and there are a lot of uh, cartoons that criticize the situation of this woman. So I don't know if we can find something similar, because if you go, for example, you have critics about Angela Merkel or about Marie Le Pen in France and about uh, and about the situation of men respect this woman or about uh, the critical the, the role of woman she is a mother she has to, to take care of the children yeah and the other hand you you have to be strong you can be present and so on yeah um, I think political cartooning probably has less power in the United States than in Europe. Uh, many newspapers don't have political cartoonists on staff anymore. It's one of the areas that people have cut back on a lot. Uh, what does have power and that I'm intrigued by is uh, memes on social media, which is not something created by you know professionals. Uh, most of the time, sometimes it's created by professionals. But I think you know sometimes. Um, I mean, I remember when Clinton first started on Instagram, right? And I started. I wanted to do something about this, and I wanted to screenshot one of her Instagram posts, but I couldn't find a way to screenshot one of Clinton's Instagram posts that did not, in the side rail, include some unpublishable comment about her. Um, and if I had embedded it, then I would have been embedding all of these unpublishable comments onto the news site. Um, and so this created a news problem for me. Um, and I think it's the same where you search for Clinton uh, in on Twitter and you will find some very vicious uh, visual commentary on her from who knows, some guy who just decided to do this thing because he wanted to. And that stuff is out there and it's findable through search by anybody. And I think that has a lot of interesting power in ways that we haven't fully accounted for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you spoke of Donald Trump and how much do you think that his persona and um, what he represents is also expect, expecting Hillary Clinton as a future opponent. And if they will run one against the other, who will have more advantages of their persona? Like, who, whose narrative will win if they run against each other? Boy, a Clinton versus Trump race. We should be so lucky. Um, <laughs> I think the people who would win that one is the press. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, he's an entertainer. He, he knows what he's doing. He's really good at it. Uh, he's great at getting free media. Uh, and uh, he's, he's, he's not as, 
predictable as the other candidates. I mean, he's just got into this whole thing with Jeb Bush about whether or not George W. Bush is actually to blame for 9-11 by not having prevented it. Now, this is a line of um, argument that I have heard people in Washington make many times over the years, including immediately after 9-11, when no one could say something like this. Um, and so I think he's, again, expressing um, a viewpoint held by, especially in New York, I think, many people. Uh, and, and and fighting on it in a way that's just interesting and different. So I, in a Clinton versus Trump race, I all bets are off about what happens there. But um, he's he's a, he's a, he would be a New York Republican. Um, it's been a really long time since there's been a New York Republican who has been. Um, it's just it's not a party that's led by the Northeast anymore. Um, it, I'm sorry? They did fairly well as a party in 1980 with an entertainer at the head of their ticket. Yeah, they did. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, Robert, one more, yeah. Um, do, you, do you think Trump has a staff of advisors who are running public opinion polls and studying various documents to try to tell him what issues he should uh, he definitely has a campaign staff. Uh, some of them have unusual backgrounds for campaign staff. Uh, he is devoting, I think, real resources to um, looking to win the race. This is, this is not a lark campaign for him anymore, if it ever was. I, I, I have trouble imagining how some of the things he said could have been poll tested, <laughs> um, or what that the polling could have suggested he say instead. That said, he's also very canny in systematically going after his opponents on the Republican side. He and Rand Paul have clashed. He has gone after um, uh, Jeb Bush very forcefully. He's gone after um, a number of his uh, potential opponents. Uh, in ways that have been damaging to them uh, because he's willing to just say things. Uh, and uh, I think his capacity to insult people uh, hurts all of the other candidates who are running against him because people hear the insults and whether they're true or not, people still hear the diminishment of the opponents. Um, and that has an influence, whether it's fair or true or not. Could you, um, <clears throat> so you're the editor-in-chief of Yahoo News, right? Could you, uh, Yahoo Politics. <clears throat> uh, could you talk a little bit about how you thought about, from that role, uh, covering the campaign, uh, kind of allocating resources, kind of how your, what's your kind of coverage strategy for the, for the campaign? Or is it kind of too early for that to be a big part of your thinking? Well, what I will say is, um, you know, uh, Yahoo is an enormous uh, institution. Uh, when I first started working there and I learned the scale of the operation, I began to think that I was not working for a news organization. I was working for the internet. Because, um, you know, between 800 million and a billion different people around the world interact with uh, Yahoo products on a monthly basis, which is a substantial fraction of humanity that's online. Uh, and 
it's it, the scale is like nothing I've ever experienced in journalism. And so because it has this enormous on-network scale, uh, we're writing for a more general reader. Um, we're nonpartisan, and we're looking to find stories that are not being um, fed to us by our partners because we also have partnerships with all the news wires and with many other media institutions so that we can give um, our readers uh, the full range of different uh, quality stories that are being written around um, various media outlets. So, you know, um, you will find an AP story or Reuters or an AFP or a Bloomberg or, um, you know, we have things that are on network that are ingested into the system and we have things that are off network where um, you can go to the Yahoo uh, front page and you will be directed to links based on an algorithm based on your use patterns uh, that will send you to someone else's site for an interesting story. So there's there's um, an environment like that where you're not a uh, standalone news organization, you approach things slightly differently. How many um, reporters do you have? Uh, uh, we have a, a bunch of different people who uh, write on politics. Uh, I can I can list them, but I can't tell you the number off the top of my head right now. But it's it's still pretty small, honestly. I mean, it operates as basically a small magazine on top of this enormous network. So we have time for one more question, if someone has one. Please. Yeah, thank you. Um, <coughs> I was just wondering if you could... Uh, name some names for us of younger women, maybe the next wave of women either now in even the private sector or working in government or who are in politics, who you see as people that we may be hearing from in 10 or 20 years in a significant way, perhaps even running for president. Um, I'm sorry, just younger women who we will be hearing from Running, rising, yeah. stars. rising political, rising political stars. <sighs> I mean, it's an old saw that everybody in the Senate thinks that they're going to be president one day. Um, I think that's probably a little bit true for some of the women there as well. Not for all of them, but um, I think obviously, um, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand and Amy Klobuchar are very prominent in Washington. Um, we'll be hearing a lot more from them. Uh, there's a group of, you know, younger women, especially Republicans, who are in the House right now, who get a certain amount of attention just because they're so young, like Elise Stefanik, who I believe um, has had some affiliation here as well. Did she? At the mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I think one of the things that people are struggling with as they look at Clinton, um, there's always this question of, you know, people would like there to at some point be a woman president, but many people look at Clinton and will be like, not this woman. So who is the next person, woman who is in a position like hers to run for president? And I don't think we have that person. I, I can't say who that person could be. Um, she might just be a unique force in American history. Um, and it could be another, I don't know how many years, decades, before anyone else comes along who's as strong as she is. I think women of her generation, the ones who fought the first battles, are slightly differently positioned uh, than the generations that have come after, who maybe fought fewer battles of the particular type that she's had to fight in her life. Um, 
I, I, I mean, I, I can't look around either party and say there's there's anyone who's going to come along in 2020 and be as strong as she is uh, within the primary process. Not it doesn't mean that there won't be. I just can't identify that person right now. Not, I'm sorry? Not even the senior senator from Massachusetts. Elizabeth Warren? Yeah. Um, in the primaries, you said. I didn't say general. In the primaries, I would think she'd be very strong in 2020, potentially. Unless Barney, if uh, Bernie Sanders flames out so badly that it kills the left wing of the party. I, I think there are people stacked up behind Hillary, and I think Hillary was one really good example. We may not meet the test, but we electable, but I don't think anyone. Uh, no, that's a good point. I, I you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's what um, people call the Warren wing of the party now, the progressive. Um, uh, the, uh, there's progressive groups that are pushing this really hard. There's a hashtag Warren Wing. I mean, it's it's a whole thing. Thank you, Garans. Yeah. That was terrific. <laughs>